0: So the question is, is there an order in God's saving purpose for us? Is there an order in the way in which the benefits of what Christ has done are applied to our lives? Yes, it looks like there's an order, Romans 8:30: those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Does anybody need an outline, copy of this outline? Um, there's, there's probably one in every seat, and maybe, are there any on the back table? Okay. So, yes, there's an order. Now, uh, so this is the list we've been working through, and I put it back on your outline today, the order of salvation, election, and the gospel call, or the uh, doctrine of calling, that's what we're on today. Um, So God chooses us before the foundation of the world, and then the gospel call comes to us, but we need spiritual ability to respond, and so that's regeneration, where he makes us alive and enables us to respond, Conversion is our response to that, which is faith and repentance. Then justification has to do with our legal declaration that we're not guilty before God, but have Christ's righteousness. Adoption, we become members of God's family. Sanctification, we grow in likeness to Christ. Perseverance, we continue in the Christian life. And then death, and then glorification, or receiving a resurrection body. So that's the order in which these things happen, and we're working through this list. Definition. If, oops, I see definition on the outline, but looks like we've got to do this first. Uh, in this Doctrine of Calling, we have two kinds of calling that we can talk about. We can talk about the general sense of a gospel call that goes to everyone who hears the gospel message. It's just a, It's an explanation of the facts of our sin and what Christ has done and an invitation to respond. That's the general gospel call. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. However, if, in fact, we are all born with a sinful nature, if, in fact, as Paul says in Ephesians, we are dead in trespasses and sins, what happens when you speak to a dead person is he doesn't respond. And so uh, there has to be more than just this invitation coming to people because it'll just bounce off. It'll, it'll go nowhere unless, in fact, God makes it a powerful, spiritually effective penetrating, heart-touching, inward calling, what we could call then a specific inward, spiritual, effective call that summons us to God and actually brings results. And so we could list these two different senses. There's a gospel call that's man's action, that is what we speak. It's offered to all people. It's external. It's often rejected. But it's the means by which God works in this Second sense of calling, this effective calling that actually comes with such power that we respond. And so an effective calling is God's action speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel. It comes to specific individuals, it's internal, and it's effective because it, it, brings, it actually brings a response. And in that, uh, in that sense, we're going to define effective calling as an act, it's, it's an invisible thing then. It's an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. And I think that is the sense in which Romans 8.30 is using it. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Specific people that he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Just skipping over and touching some of the items on that list. And so there are a number of passages in the Bible that speak about this, uh, um, uh, this effective calling, this inward, powerful, spiritual calling of God. And the reason I'm using the word summons, and that's, that's not original with me, other people have talked about it that way, is it's, it's um, let's see, let's imagine in the room behind the coffee pot over there, that other room, there is... Um, um, I need an example here. I'm I'm Ron Dickerson. I see you over there. I'm just going to pick you out. Let's say um, that uh, that the door opens and 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 someone says, "Ron, come over here." You don't know who it is. Well, you might or might not respond. But uh, maybe you're busy. Maybe you're doing something else. Maybe maybe you know it's some time waster and you just decide, "No, I'm not going (laughs) to go talk to that person." But, if it's a king, and you're living in his realm, and the king says, Ron, come here, it's a summons. It comes with the power of the king, and then, of course, Ron responds. And now, if you multiply that authority a thousandfold, so it's not just a king, it's God, saying, Ron, I want you to come here. Well, then, you respond. And so, uh, the words it isn't just um, take it or leave it, it's a, it's a summons, and that is the way in which the Bible is talking about this effective calling. It's so powerful, it can be thought of as a summons. Now, we use the word summons in legal language, where if you get a summons from a judge, you, you are legally compelled to respond. And uh, that's another way in which we, uh, kind of an analogy in which we use this word summons, in such a way that responded saving faith. So Romans 8.30, those whom we predestined, he called. But 1 Peter 2.9 would go on and say this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, there's another picture of it. Let's say this room is just pitch dark. And that room has blazing brightness and light. And here, inside this room, everybody's just wandering around in confusion, bumping into each other, and it's, and it's just an awful place to be. That's the picture, and God calls you into his marvelous light. That's the realm in which he is, and his people are, and his summons is transferring you from one realm to another. That's, another, that's the way Peter looks at it. Or 1 Corinthians 1, 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, that other room is not just light. There's the sun. There's Jesus himself. And so when you're called to leave this kingdom of darkness, go into fellowship with Christ. That's another result of calling. Or 1 Thessalonians 2.12, uh, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Oh, what's in that room? It's not only light. It's not only Jesus is there. It's a kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And it's his glory. You know that glory of God, that bright, shining light that surrounds his presence? That's what's in that room. Oh, my goodness. What, a, what, what an amazing thing to be called into that. Um, 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There's another sense. He's called you to his eternal glory In Christ, and that's what's in the area or the realm, the kingdom He's summoning us to. And Romans 1:7 to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now that that word has an idea of moral or ethical purity to it. So you're summoned, but summoned into a realm where people are called to be morally righteous or pure. And so that's another characteristic of it. You want to go in that door? Well, God is saying, I'm calling you into this. It's a wonderful kingdom, but there are some responsibilities. I'm calling you to be a saint, that is, one who is holy before me. A lot of aspects to that kingdom to which he calls us. Jesus says that this calling is necessary because, John 6 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, that's not the word calling, it's the word drawing or pulling or, um, I guess, drawing. Um, Uh, And uh, that's another way of picturing it, but it's God the Father um, bringing us uh, to himself and to Christ. And here's how it worked out in practice. Um, uh, At one point in Paul's uh, missionary journeys in Acts 16.14, in Acts 16.14, here uh, Paul comes to the city of Philippi in Macedonia, what is now um, northern part of Greece. And, um, and then while they're there, they go out by the river and start preaching the gospel, and it says, Acts 16, 14, one of those who heard us, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's another picture of this calling that is God himself working in Lydia's heart to open her heart so all of a sudden she is responsive to Paul's gospel preaching. That's another picture of it. And it just uh, Luke just says this that this is this is how it happens. This is how people come to faith. God opens their hearts. Okay. So we're, we're understanding that that's happening. That's what God is doing. Is he's summoning us, and that summons is so powerful it transfers us into his kingdom. But now, it comes about through the human preaching of the gospel. So, um, it, it isn't just that Ron heard a voice from this other room saying, Ron Dickerson, come here. But rather, it was that, I'm just randomly picking out Beth over here, because I don't know why, didn't I? I just fell on Beth. Beth came from that room and, she said, and Beth said, Ron, the king is calling you. So it's a human messenger. Human messenger, the human preaching of the gospel. So God doesn't just speak his gospel from heaven with a kind of a heavenly loudspeaker. It's rather we are the speakers who bring that message to other people. And it's through those human words that God brings about this powerful, spiritual, supernatural, effective calling. Isn't that amazing? Through our human words. So, Paul can say, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The the human explanation of the gospel is necessary for God's call to reach into people's hearts. But now I, I think, if you're like me, I tend to think of evangelism as my activity. I just have to memorize this presentation or have this Four Spiritual Laws book and walk people through it, and I just think of it as me doing something, but what The New Testament is talking about verse after verse after verse is what we have to realize and constantly keep in mind is that when we're talking to people about the gospel, when God makes it effective, it's his power through our words. And there's nothing we can do to force people to respond, is there? Oh, can we think of a new argument? Can we think of a new reason? Can we think of a new music or a new way to... It's, It's God speaking through our words. That has to be the way that it happens. So, what are those words? What are the things that we have to say? And here we're back to familiar ground. And, and, you know, if you think, oh, I can't memorize much Bible, I don't memorize long presentations and everything, all you've got to do is really, I suppose, in a very simple way, all you have to do is, just at least to start, is to have these three verses, in Romans, because they lay out the gospel so clearly. Well, that's not quite all, because there's an invitation to respond that's coming up, so I better qualify that. But in terms of explaining kind of the, the, the whole facts, the whole, the whole factual situation of who people are and what has happened, is first of all, uh, all people have sinned, and... Somebody help me. Who can say Romans 323 from memory? Who? Somebody, somebody. Sandy, I know that you okay, but I, I'll just call on you because I know you, you'll you'll know it. all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, or some fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, so and, 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 yeah, okay. King and come short of the glory of God, or fall short of the glory of God, whichever. Everybody sinned. Okay, And we haven't reached up to God's standards, which are perfection. Have you ever done anything wrong? Okay, If you have ever done anything wrong in your whole life, you've fallen short of complete moral perfection, complete holiness. And that's the only kind of people that God's going to let into his kingdom. And we don't make it, so, so we've fallen short. Okay, That's number one. Usually you won't get anybody arguing about that. Have you ever done anything wrong? Well, yeah, I guess. Okay. Two, the penalty for sin is death. Somebody who, let me see, in this section, if I can get somebody who will raise your hand and volunteer to quote Romans 6, 23. Yep. Good. Okay, and your name again. John. John, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you've got both halves there. The penalty for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And what kind of death is that? It's it's spiritual, and eventually it's going to work out in physical death, too, and separation from God forever. So, number one, we've all sinned. Number two, what we deserve is death, eternal death, separation from God forever. Okay. That's Romans 6.23. But the second half of the verse already gets you into the solution. The free gift of God. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How did that come about romans five eight Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins, so we deserve to be separated from God and die but romans five eight how about this section? who can do that for us? Anybody oh okay remarks okay well while we, were still
1: sinners,
0: Christ died for while we were while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, okay all of you knew that. you just were thinking, no, anyway, what is that verse okay. That's right. While we were set, God shows his love for us and that while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Simple. Okay, it's very clear. Well, that's an explanation in very brief form of the facts of what has happened. All of those things could be explained in much more detail. There could be a much longer story. But this is the basics. And then if there are questions, we can see if we can answer them. But now, now, Someone says, okay, that sounds right. Okay, I hear what you're saying. It's clear to me. I'm not sure if I agree, but I think I might agree with that. Is there anything else? Is there anything else that you have to say or that the people have to hear? Yes, there's something else. It's not enough just to understand this in your mind. It's not enough just to say, okay, okay. Well, um, uh, let's see. Uh, Napoleon was emperor of France. Caesar Augustus was emperor Ro- Roman emperor. Jesus died for my sins. Okay, I believe all those facts. Hasn't affected the person. It's just kind of historical data. Well, what has to happen? Number two, the gospel message is not just stating facts. It has to include an invitation To respond to Christ personally in repentance and faith. So, well, Beth comes from the other room and tells Ron, who's pretending to be our non Christian here, he's anything but a non Christian, all have sinned. Ron, you've sinned. (laughs) I mean, she probably doesn't tell him that, but he gets the point. Uh, And then, um, the penalty for sin is death, so what you deserve is eternal death, and Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, Now, so what? Now Beth is saying, Ron, Jesus is today inviting you personally to come to him, to trust in him. And so... What I think is important now at this point in a gospel presentation is to say to people, I want to read these verses from the Bible, but don't think of them as just historical words spoken long ago. Think of them as something that Jesus himself is saying to you personally right now. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What do you mean, labor and are heavy laden? That means... Working, trying to make yourself right with God. Are you getting tired of it? (laughs) You're laboring, heavy laden, you're burdened down with this this load of, how do I get right with God? Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest from all that. From all that trying to make yourself right with God. Can you hear him now saying these words, which he spoke in the Gospel of Matthew, but right now, today, March 3rd, 2008, 10.15, Jesus saying... Ron, to you, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And that invites not just, oh, I believe that happened a long time ago. That, that, those words of Jesus, and there are many like this, that invites personal response. That invites Ron to say, Jesus, yes, yes. I'm coming to you, I need that rest, I need that help, I need that forgiveness, I need your salvation. That's the response of a person. Here's another one, John one 11 to 11-12. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It talks about Jesus coming into the world. He came to the Jewish people. Some believed in him, but many did not believe in him. They didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him. And that means welcoming Jesus into your life. That means welcoming him as the one who is Lord. That means welcoming him as the one who is the reigning king of the universe. That means welcoming him as the one who is truly God. Lord Jesus, will you come into my life? I'm going to receive you now. Will you come into my life? That's a little bit of a change from the summons to another room. That's Jesus coming to us. There are all sorts of pictures or metaphors. That one's a little... But it's saying, all right, Jesus, here's my whole life. Here's my job, here's my house, here's my family, my relatives, my neighbors, my health my finances, all that I hope for, my, my physical health, my relationships, my hopes, my past, my future. Okay, all of this surrounding me, and I hear you asking me, will I welcome you into all of this? Will I receive you? There's an invitation to receive Jesus, to welcome him, to come in, to your whole life. I like a lot of things about the little booklet that's put out by Campus Crusade, The Four Spiritual Laws. I think you know, it's the most effective little summary of this gospel that I've ever seen. I think. Now, people might want to tweak it and differ with it a little bit, but it's one of the things is Lord, come and take control of my life. And there's this little diagram of Jesus being Lord of your life, all the things. And so, this receiving him is a personal relationship that is being pictured. He came to these people, they rejected him. He came to these people, he rejected them. He came to these people, they received him. Do you receive him? So, so Beth is saying to Ron, Ron, Jesus is inviting you today to receive him into your life. That is to welcome him to be present in your life. Now, is he going to come as a hired assistant? he going to come just as a buddy and a friend to watch TV with? He's king of the universe. He's the Lord of all. He's the sovereign God who's the creator. When he comes, he takes charge. Well, I don't want to receive him on that basis. Well, then you can't receive him. He's not going to change who he is. Will you receive him as he is? That's an invitation. It's an invitation to great good, great blessing, incredible blessing that's going to come, but it's going to come when you receive Jesus into your life. We come to him, he comes to us. There's a personal interaction being spoken of. Here's another way to picture it. There are all sorts of ways to picture this in different parts of the New Testament. But another way is Revelation 3.20. Now, this is um Jesus speaking to the church I think it's Laodicea let me look Revelation 3:20 and to the church at Laodicea it's kind of a spiritually dying church it doesn't have much spiritual life in it and um Jesus is is rebuking it but then <clears throat> but then he's saying look here's a chance for you It's not all over. He's saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Here's a picture, probably, of Jesus coming to your room. Your house, maybe, your room. It's standing at a door. Well, probably a house. He's coming to your house, and he's saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That picture's personal fellowship, an amazing personal fellowship. This is the one who is not only truly man, sinless man, lived and died a perfect sinless life for us and rose again, but he's also God, and he's saying, Ron, I'll come in, I'll come in your house and have supper with you. It's amazing. It's a picture of wonderful personal fellowship, but again, <clears throat> it's a picture of welcoming Jesus into the house, and the house represents all of your life. And if he comes, he comes as Lord and King, because that's who he is. Will we welcome him? I'm giving these pictures again and again because of the personal, interactive nature of these invitations. They aren't just invitations to change <clears throat> some intellectual idea we have. They're invitations to a personal relationship with Jesus. Revelation 22:17, the last chapter of the Bible, ends right close to the end. It says this, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, and the bride is the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Now, there's another image. Thirsty for salvation. Thirsty for forgiveness. Thirsty for a relationship with God. Thirsty for just taking all the blessings of God and the presence of God into yourself and into your life. Because there's spiritual dryness. It's Your, your soul is parched. It's dead. It's it's just, it It needs this spiritual, life-giving, refreshing water. Let him who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. All of these things have to do with, this is totally free. Come, and I'll give you rest. It's free. He came to his own, but all you have to do is receive him. It's free. <clears throat> if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and eat with him. It's free. He's coming. And here, if you're thirsty, come. You can take the water of life. That's a picture of salvation again. Without price. Nothing you can do to earn it, to pay for it, to make yourself worthy of it. It's just come. Those are wonderful pictures, aren't they? But they're, they're, they're pictures of personal relationship and Jesus asking people to come into personal relationship. Now, uh, repentance is necessary for salvation. There are a lot of times when Luke twenty four forty seven, uh, the they went out preaching that repentance, or, or Jesus said that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. There's a turning away from sin if we turn to Christ. And Acts twenty twenty one, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is an element of turning from sin and. That's another picture. If, um, if, if, um, <laughs> well, I'm going to use this. I, this If this, uh, this black briefcase, if this represents sin, and I'm holding on to it, then Jesus says, come to me, and this, let's say this is anchored to the floor, and he's standing over there by the podium. He says, come to me, and I'm saying, I'm not sure that i I want to get rid of this, this sin, whatever it is—love of money, or, or sexual immorality, or addiction, or pride, or temper, or one's own just wrong lying, or who knows what sin. I'm not sure. This is so feels so comfortable to me, and Jesus is saying, "Come." Repentance is, Lord, I want to come. I can't. He awakens that ability. He awakens a desire in our heart. We say, Lord, yes, I want to, and I come. But I've got to leave the sin to come to him. So repentance is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 2.4, Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Or 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So, so, we'll get on to that in another couple of weeks. What is involved in repentance and faith, but I just mentioned that both of them are mentioned. and uh, repentance and faith. Now, no, oh what started out to be simple, we've seen has many pictures involved with it, receiving, um, coming to him, trusting him, a lot of times trusting and believing in him. and we uh, John three sixteen, I didn't talk about, believing in has this idea of putting one's trust in, and we'll explain that more in a couple weeks. But but a lot of pictures. So, number one, Beth has explained to Ron the facts of the gospel. Number two, she said, here, Jesus is asking you to come, to receive him, to open the door to him, to uh, take his yoke on you, uh, 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 to take the water of life, all these pictures. Now, now, Ron said, well, what will happen if I do that? What's the benefit? What's the upside for me? Well, uh, just forgiveness eternally and, and eternal life with God. Um, and that's just the beginning because there are all sorts of things that come with that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. No, no penalty for sin left, no death left. But have eternal life, and that life is not just living forever and growing older and older and older, like Yoda or something. But, but, um, but it's a full and abundant and wonderful life with God Enjoy. and joy. John six thirty seven. all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So Ron is saying, wait a minute, what if I decide to, to say Jesus, yes, I trust in you, I come to you, I receive you. What if he says, no, so you can't come, Ron? John 6.37 says, he will never say that. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. So there's a promise. There's a promise, Ron, that if you trust in him, if you come to him, if you receive him, if you say, Lord Jesus, yes, I, I accept you, I trust you, I receive you. He won't reject you. He will give you this eternal life. He'll never turn you away. So, Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. So what happens if you trust in him? Pow! 100% of everything wrong that you've ever done in the past is forgiven in the sight of God. Forever. And that you'll do today, and that you'll do for the rest of your life. It's all forgiven. Your sins will be blotted out completely. How's that sound? <laughs> Should sound good. So there's the promise of forgiveness and eternal life. Oh, see on your outline, I don't have. I missed a slide here. The the pr- importance of the gospel call that goes back to Romans 10:14. Let me go way back here where it was. How are they to call on Him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so that is the story of the gospel call. That is, there's the human preaching that we've just explained, the facts, the, the facts concerning salvation, the invitation, will you respond? Because Jesus is inviting you to respond to him personally today. And he's here with you, and he hears you, and he sees you, and he's speaking to you through these words in the Bible. And then here's a promise, if you will respond, there will be forgiveness, there will be eternal life. And when Beth gives that explanation to Ron, if God is at work secretly in this effective calling, those words will be so powerful, they'll be more powerful than any human words could ever be because God will make them effective in Ron's heart. And Ron will say, yes, I've just been longing for someone to tell me that. Yes, I want to do this. I want to trust in him. And that's response. Okay, that's the end of what I wanted. We have quite a few minutes to talk. Laverne. Yep.
2: <laughs> you know, we're supposed to evangelize, which is what you're talking about here. Yeah. But right before Romans 10.14, it talks about in Romans 10.10 10, that what confirms it in our heart is the telling it to other peoples. It says go tell others. So it's like a big circle of evangelism.
0: Read that. (laughs) Do you have that verse open? I do.
2: For it's by believing in your heart that a man becomes right with God, and with his mouth he tells others of his faith, which confirms his salvation.
0: To himself,
2: see, so the more we tell it, the more we believe it. I
0: I think that, and I'm going to read it, but I'm really glad you mentioned that verse, Laverne. That's just super important because speaking it all out to someone else is a way of giving expression to that initial faith, and and it it confirms that, it deepens that. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Okay, thanks. Okay, one more thing. It's about it. When we, tell,
2: when we tell others, that keeps the enemy from robbing us of who we are. That's good. It gives us that confidence.
0: <laughs> good. It's great. okay. now I'm going to kind of go one section at a time here and come back, Bob and then
3: yeah Wayne I would uh, I was struck when you use the briefcase as examples of things that we hold on to and as I've encountered people uh, in in the business community and workplace and so forth. Uh, I can talk to them about addictions or, you know, hanging on to money and this, and they kind of deny that that applies to them. Yeah. The most common thing that I encounter people saying, or not saying, but admitting to, is indifference.
1: Mm.
3: Indifference toward God. Yeah. That they don't, they don't have regular prayer time. They don't. They're not. They don't hunger to read the Word. Yeah. Uh,
0: just kind of ignoring God Sunday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Bob, I'm going to follow up on that. I'm, I, I appreciate that. That's that's because probably people recognize that. There's something else that I probably should say. When I talk to people about the gospel message, and there's a in this Four Spiritual Laws booklet, there's a little sample prayer. Whether you've got the booklet or you just can explain to people, where it says, if if you'd like to receive Christ could you talk to him now in this prayer and then, and he say, and I usually say I'm going to read through the words of this prayer out loud before and and see if it and just listen to it and see if it expresses what you want to say but in there there's part that says Lord Jesus receive my Lord Jesus forgive my sins and make me the kind of person you want me to be and I say, when I, I'm going to say these phrases one at a time now if you want to pray this, and would you say those after me? But when we come to this where it says, Lord Jesus, receive my sins, I'm just going to be quiet for a few minutes. And God will bring to your heart and to your mind things that he wants you to ask him for forgiveness for. If you want to say that out loud, fine. If it's just between you and God, that's fine. But I don't know what's in people's hearts. And it's kind of touchy to say, well, I saw you sin in this way. Well, gonna, I don't think we're going to do that. But, but, but if, if, if the Holy Spirit is at work in this presentation, there's already going to be conviction of sin. And, and, uh, and just to say, well, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, does that seem right in your life, that there are things you've done? You don't have to tell me, but there are the things you've done that, uh, that don't please God. And usually people say yes, but but that one is great. And they say, well, what do you mean? And then you might say, well, what about being indifferent toward God? That one was strike home. Okay. Well, let's see. Way in the back over here. Yeah, you comment on the danger of
1: manipulation hmm. in trying to get a desired response from people? I think this has been a concern of mine over the years as a pastor, yeah. that I not try to use my own charisma, my own cleverness, uniqueness of, of, of my witness, to bring people to a desired response. I think that always has to be, has to be uh, attended to. There has to be a concern. Okay,
0: what's Whether your it's name? personally
1: witnessing one-on-one yep, on one yep. or in the proclamation. Okay, tell to your name. I was unidentified before. I'm Les Pearson from Rochester, Minnesota.
0: Okay, Les. Um, the danger of manipulation. Les, I'm going I'm to just say a couple things that come to mind, but maybe you have more that you'd think about. We always want to speak the truth, so we don't ever want to water down what the Bible says or make it just kind of a shortened message that doesn't mention sin, for instance, or something like that. Uh, That would be one danger if we're not truthful. Um, I guess when I hear that word, I've sometimes had memories where people say, well, in youth group settings there can be you know where there're 20 kids and all 20 have to all receive Christ at once because there's kind of they want to do what their peers are doing and that may be true you know that that's happening but i i think if if i were making a gospel presentation in the youth group setting i would just kind of guard against that by saying look i don't care if 19 of your friends want to come and pray a prayer to receive Christ. If it's not in your own heart to do that, you wait. Because it's got to be between you and God. And if you, if there's something in your heart that says you're not sure yet you want to wait, then wait, wait until it can be a really wholehearted commitment on your part. So maybe just guarding against that a little bit. Almost making it a little bit hard. Because if God is in it, they're, they're, you can't hold anybody back. Anything else you want to say?
1: In my experience, I've known well-meaning Christian laymen. I'm thinking of one in particular, a great man of God. He was esteemed in the world of science. This was in a church in Minneapolis I served. He had the gift of evangelism like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he led more people to Christ in his living room Mm. than I think I led to Christ in my pastoral ministry. Mm. But there was a couple of other men in that church, dynamic businessmen, who said, oh, I want to be like so-and-so. Yeah. They weren't like so-and-so, and because they failed to be like so-and-so, they went through some real spiritual defeat. Mm, mm-hmm. And again, there again is trying to pattern our lives after somebody else. And yeah. when when God obviously wants to see us as a unique person, and good. that he wants to give us our own style, not somebody okay, else's. Good.
0: Yeah, thanks. Good. I'm going to go back over here. I think, Phil, I saw your hand a few minutes ago.
3: First, I want to say that your teaching is very clear and it's very inspiring. And so I want to say, second, that my mind is still confused, so please bear with me. I appreciate your example of the summons, and I appreciate your example of Ron back there, who I don't know personally. So my question is, does an individual have free choice? to reject the summons they were elected to receive before the foundation of the earth. (laughs) He he wasn't here last week.
0: (laughs) He was, yeah. No. (laughs)
2: <laughs> we'll be cut.
0: yeah. Look, now, yeah. Okay. We, uh, so, Phil, here. First, you said you appreciate my teaching. It's very clear. That was the part I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, do you want to get, give him back the microphone, Daryl? So, you, uh, so, so I figured in my answer, I'm going to make it one word. <laughs> That's clear. No. But now, um, I have to, if I'm going to say that in any way that won't be misunderstood, I have to build around some qualifications and some explanations. Um, when I say, does a person have a free choice, well, you say, does a person have a free choice to reject the gospel if God has given him a powerful summons, and I say it's going to be effective, from God's perspective, it's going to happen, because the person has been chosen. Now... From the human perspective, we don't know that. From a human perspective, people, people, from everything they know, it's completely their choice. That is, they think through what they want to do, they think what seems reasonable to them, they think what's most attractive and desirable to them, they say, shall I do this, shall I not, shall I give up this sin, shall I not, shall I come to Christ, shall I not? And it's a struggle inside, and it's a real struggle, because they're real persons. Now... It may take a day, it may take five minutes, it may take a day or a week, it may take a month, because there's this long struggle, and it's a real struggle of the human will, and it's real, and it's voluntary, and it's it's their own human choice, and in as far as any human choice is free, it's free in that sense from a human perspective, okay? And so, in that sense, um, they finally say, yes, I'll receive Christ. There is a decision, and they made a decision. So I'm going to say from a human perspective, it seems to be completely free. But what I'm saying is the Bible gives us also this secret divine perspective by which God was at work in all of those struggles and tossings and turnings so that from God's perspective, he guaranteed that it would happen. He inclined or bent or directed the person's will to respond willingly. Was it free from God? No. Was it free in terms of human choice? Yes. Now, does that help?
3: Wayne, well, you sound like one of the four major contenders for the, the presidential election.
0: I'm not going to ask which one.
3: No, yes, but no. But no, but yes.
0: Well, because you've got a divine perspective and a human perspective. And then, but, Phil, you know, there comes a point when someone says, I still can't figure that out. And there comes a point when I say, I still can't figure that out either. And nobody's going to figure that all out. I'm saying as much as I can that's true from both the human and divine perspective.
3: Well, I'm glad you said that and I hope it's being taped so that when I send this CD onto my my yeah. my friend out of, out of the, the city here that sp- specifically Romans 10:10 10, 10 and Romans 10:14 come yeah. into this that there there must be active participation by God's children to spread the gospel.
0: Yep absolutely. There has to be, because God, when he chooses Ron to be saved, he also chooses Beth to come and bring the message to him, and there comes a package. And Beth doesn't know, and Ron doesn't know you know, when it's going to be that person, and when that person's going to be saved. We don't, but because we know God has chosen some, we go and offer the gospel <clears throat> to Ron, and to Julie, <clears throat> and to Ray, and to Carol, and to everybody, and, and uh, to Tom and to Audrey, and just go right down the road, and some will respond. But we don't know who it's going to be. But we know some. And we know if we don't, then not, we're not going to see anybody come into the kingdom anyway, and we're going to lose the joy of that. So, And what, are, what all the rest of it is in God's secret counsels. Okay? Thanks. Hello, friend out of state that Phil is sending this tape to. I hope this all makes sense to you. <laughs> How about here? Yeah, Phil.
3: One of the things that uh, sometimes I lose uh, sight of is that when I, when I am called to speak the word to someone, it may not be the timing that, where that person is going to say, yes, I want to accept Jesus, Yep. at that point, point. Yep. and too many times, I may find, gee, I failed. I didn't get the job done,
0: mm-hmm. and I
3: have to remember that it was not the time. I may be one of the next ten times this person hears that message before he or she may yep. respond, but it's still my responsibility yep.
0: whether I get the deal done or I let God do what he's supposed to do. Okay, I like what you said a lot, Phil. Um, but I, I struggle with this because I don't want to be silent out of my own lack of courage or just timidity or something. But I'll give you an example. Yesterday, we were out doing various errands, and we were in a shop, and a, a sales clerk was bringing up something, and another person came along and interrupted him and said, well, I did this and this, and, and he said to her, oh, there's a special reward in heaven for you. And uh, And... And uh, then there's this little banter back and forth. Well, oh, you going first? No, if you're well, if I'm going first, I'll pray for you. And I thought, oh, well, this is a great opportunity, but I didn't feel any freedom to say anything. Then he's helping me carry something out to the car. We get something in the car, and I see there. There's a Bible sitting there, little ESV blue paperback Discovery Edition. That's great for giving away to people. And I say, oh, did you ever read the Bible? Oh, no, not for a long time. But I, but I talk, but you know, and, the, the, and there's some. Uh, Apparently, Catholic background in his family and grandparents or something, and there's some spiritual interest. Well, could I give you this? Would you be interested? Oh, yes. So I sign it, and it's got all sorts of, you know, what to do if you're feeling guilty for sin, or if you're anxious, or if you're just right inside in the page two or something. And uh, then I mentioned, you ever, you ever, you go to any church? No, no. What do you ever hear, Scottsdale Bible Church? (laughs) So I mean, there was just the opportunity ten minutes ago wasn't there, or five minutes ago. But then it's just, it just seemed right. And so, but what's, what I struggle with, Phil, is that too often I may be silent. Because, and you know what it is? It's, it's that I'm not excited enough about the gospel. That's why it is. I'm, I think it is. I just, it becomes routine to me. If it were just bursting in my heart that it's so wonderful, you couldn't hold me back. I'm just not telling you honestly where I am. Sandy?
4: Just a word about your dropped briefcase illustration of um, repentance of sin and coming to Christ, uh, trusting in Christ. Um, I obviously the the turning, the intentional turning from sin, in as I observe my life and as I observe the life of most other people, it seems like that briefcase um, of sin, at least some of what's in that briefcase can be a lot more like barnacles that cling to our souls. And I think that people sort of need to know this, and I'm talking about those who have been born again and washed in the blood of the lamb. Uh, Maybe it's through counseling experience or as a spiritual director, but I find that um, people have a sense sometimes that their fellowship with God has been absolutely destroyed. Their their relationship, I should say, because I know that sin damages the fellowship, but that their relationship with God has been hopelessly defiled and destroyed by, by the fact that they are still struggling with things yep. that they know yep. are not pleasing to God. Yep. And throughout... N- the New Testament, the the idea of process is so clear. Galatians 4.19, yep. where Paul talks about groaning in childbirth, which yep. I think is rather amusing for a man to talk about. But anyway... Um,
0: was wise till of, Christ because, be, because Scripture yes, is wise and includes yes, illustrations yes, from both yeah. men and women. So till yeah, Christ
4: is till Christ is formed in you yep. and it pictures a kind of spiritual gestation process, yep. if you yep. will. And I would you just speak a word to that? It's not an apologetic for sinful living, yep. but it's the recognition yep. that uh, we are not perfect people. And I think it's the fact that the sin distresses us, and that we long yep. to live in a more holy way to, rel- to reflect the identity of our holy Savior that is yep. maybe the earmark.
0: Yep. Good. Very wise, Sandy. Um, there's, a, there's a simple story at the beginning. It's, it's release this and turn to Christ, and you come to him. But there's more, and that is some, of huh? wait a minute, there's some of that briefcase still sticking to me. <laughs> what's What's wrong? I thought I got rid of that. And that's the ongoing story. So yes. Mm-hmm. But I think here there has to be a decisive renunciation of a decisive intention. But it's not just I intend to turn from it, but I do turn from it. I give it up insofar as I know what giving it up means at this moment, at this second. I give it up. Not that you have to make yourself 1% better to come to Christ. It's just this old hymn, just as I am without one plea. Nothing Nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. So I'm not bringing any goodness to you, Lord, but I'm turning from that. I'm decisively, I'm deciding I give it up and I come to you. And At that moment, there's nothing left that I have to tr- that I won't that I've that I've tried to bring along with. That's something like. Now, is there is there 50 years, 70 years coming in which there is growth and struggle to grow? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's improvement. So a lot of times, the things that are struggles later are things that earlier you would have considered trivial, but but they become more significant because of where they are spiritually. What, what's our time? Okay, we're we're still we're still good. All right. How about this section? About th- two or three more. Um, Mary Jane. There we go. Mary Jane. I kind of grew up in an
5: era where I was um, involved in Expo '72 and 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 you know, Bill Bright and all that. And it seemed like that at at one point in time there was only one way that you could come to Christ by reading the four spiritual laws. Mm -hmm. But then other times, there were times where it said that, you know, I came in contact with so many different people and they felt there was no change in their life at all. And then there was some criticism against, you know, the whole Bill Bright era in saying what happened just inoculated people so that they felt like they were really believers and yet there was no change in their life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And and then I, and I grew up in a church where you know, people would say they were believers and then I'd see them years later and they go, you know, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. Yep. Can you address that? Can you talk to, uh, to us about that?
0: Um, it happens that people start to follow Christ and then turn away. Jesus had that in his ministry, and then he had to say when people were following him, and then, then, and then he started these hard sayings. in, where is it? John six, I think. And then many decided not to follow him anymore. And he said to the disciples, "Will you also turn away?" And uh, uh, Paul in Second Corinthians, "Test yourselves to see if you are holding to your faith." Book of Hebrews talks about this. First Peter talks about this. First John talks about this. So. The early church was very conscious that there will people, people who start coming to your church, but then they'll drift away. And they, they might say at the beginning, oh, well, well, we're right on board with you, we're with you, we're following Jesus, but then they don't. It's a complicated question. It'll take us probably a week or two to talk about. But what you're asking, I think, Mary Jane, is, was there something defective in the gospel presentation? what was was it was it too easy was it too simple was it too quick um, i can't answer that in any specific case but because i don't know because there are all sorts of things and jesus had this parable of the seeds where you know appears the, the world come and choke the seed and it, okay so but what i can say is I think the antidote for that in our own personal conversations with people is not trying to press through um, to get a result quickly, like a salesman trying to close a deal. But it's kind of, it's being sensitive, and I would say just just having personal sensitivity to see what's happening in the person, is, is the per- person, is, when Beth's talking to Ron, is Ron really following along? Or is he just kind of does he shut down and just saying okay fine finish up your presentation and let's get done with it then you need to stop because it's going nowhere so having that and I would say it's a spiritual sensitivity too because it might be that God has been preparing that person for a long time and and he he's really ready to just trust in Christ and I think often I didn't mention it often a way of expressing that trust is a prayer Jesus I do come to you I receive you I trust you I depend on you or what whatever, the, I invite you into my life, all those are giving expression to the faith. The prayer doesn't save the person. The heart, the faith in the one's heart, repentance and faith saves the person, but the prayer gives expression to it. And, and just as Laverne said about speaking it to others, speaking it to Jesus in prayer is the best first statement that gives expression to it. And often as the person is speaking, the heart change occurs. So, yes, the, the only thing I would be careful of um, is because people don't like to hear about sin. I was going to say in this age, but I think in any age, is not to gloss over that or take it lightly. There has to be, there has to be some conviction of sin. Otherwise, what are you going to be saved from? So does that help? Do you want to say something?
2: Yeah, it,
5: it really does. But I, I also kind of wonder if, if the living, the King of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Um you invite him into your heart yeah. and there is no change of behavior there yeah. is no change of your heart yeah. um, did that really occur or was that just words spoken to maybe get somebody to go away
0: only God knows because only he sees our hearts it could be one or the other Wayne um, could you yeah, done.
4: could you comment on verse nine in Romans ten and, and how that ties If you in,
0: confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
4: How does that tie into sin? Because the message of salvation that, that we all use is uh, you must repent of your sin. Yeah. And and that verse doesn't speak to that specifically. Well,
0: it, There are other verses that only speak of repentance. I had one up there. And what you have is the gospel is summarized in different ways, in short form, in different verses. Here it is confessing that Jesus is Lord. Well, does that have anything to do with sin? If he is Lord of the universe, Lord of my life? Sure. And God has raised him from the dead, what? Because he triumphed over sin. So when you understand that in its fullness, of course, it implies repentance. But it's not always mentioned explicitly. So, and sometimes faith isn't mentioned. Sometimes just repentance shall be preached in His name, or something like that. So, we'll come back to that. I'm not going to let that go because uh, the question of faith and repentance comes up two weeks, two, two lessons from now. Okay. We have time for an old. Now, I was going to do this one if we had time for two, but I won't do this one. This is a. This is. We'll do this in a couple weeks. Um, God be merciful to me based on Psalm 15. Let's do this one. This is, um, we've got six verses of this. I think there are maybe 42 or something. but we don't. <laughs> This is the hymn that has been used at Billy Graham's Crusades for years and years. And it's just an expression of this personal coming to Christ for salvation. And I'll tell you, I, you know, I don't know every one of you here. I don't know what your own background is, what your situation is. I have known Ron and Julie for years. I know that they're deeply committed born-again believers, so I only used Ron as a non-Christian example just because it was a safe example to use. But if there is anybody here, and you may have been coming to the church for a long time, and you said, I've never had this straight. I've never made this right in my life. I've never really personally myself said to Jesus, I come to you, please accept me now, forgive my sins, I take you as my Lord and Savior. If you've never said that, do that during this song as we sing it. Let it be a song that you are singing to Christ. And if you're doing that and you think, maybe, really real for the first time as we're singing this, then talk to me afterward, or talk to someone else here afterward, such as Ron. (laughs) What? Or Beth, or Beth, where are you, Beth? Hold up your hand, <laughs> or, or or someone else here, just to talk through it and say, and to say as Laverne said, I just did this for the first time, and I want you to know, I want to tell somebody. Okay, let's stand and sing. Let's pray. Um, before I pray, while well, we're just here with our eyes closed, uh, I want to say, if. God has been speaking to you and there's, a, there's a, a, a tug in your heart that you know is from God. You know that you need to make this right with God. You don't know if you've ever made it right with him before. Do not leave this room this morning until you know that your sins are forgiven and that you have this eternal life. Stay until someone will talk with you, pray with you, make it right. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you invite us to come to you for a salvation that is totally free, and yet, paradoxically, Lord, it costs our whole life for all eternity. But the cost is not a cost, Lord, because it's experiencing of blessing and reward from you. Oh, Lord Jesus all of us who have trusted in you for our whole lives or for many years, we come again and we ask for cleansing and forgiveness from any sin that may be cluttering our walk with you. Cleanse our hearts, Lord, by your blood, which represents your death for us. Cleanse us, our minds, our consciences. Forgive us, Lord. We come to you. We trust in you. We receive you. We thank you. We worship you. We worship you as our Lord and our God and our King. Amen.